Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Friday. This is Seattle Now. It's the holidays, and this week we learned that Christmas trees are expensive, unless you're willing to do a bit of hiking. But holiday lights, they are the best. An AI chatbot has some ideas about Seattle, and there's a new series about D.B. Cooper, the PNW's most famous hijacker. We're breaking it all down with the Department of Natural Resources' Rachel Turlip and KUOW's Brandy Fullwood. But first, let's get you caught up. The Federal Trade Commission has filed an antitrust case against Microsoft to stop its acquisition of Activision Blizzard, according to CNBC. The company announced plans to buy the video game publisher for $68 billion-ish at the start of the year, with a goal of closing the deal by June 2023. In a statement, the FTC said Microsoft has a track record of buying games and using the moves to suppress competition from other companies that also make consoles. Congress approved a bill to protect same-sex marriage rights. Seattle Democrat Pramila Jayapal says the legislation is an important step in making sure that LGBTQ plus people enjoy the same rights and benefits that everyone enjoys without fear that that right will be stripped away. Washington Republican Kathy McMorris-Rogers in the 5th District in eastern Washington was the only member of the state's delegation to vote against the Respect for Marriage Act. The bill now heads to President Biden's desk to be signed into law. And now that the weekend is in view and you're feeling hopeful, how about considering a donation to KUOW to support Seattle Now? I know we like to keep it casual on Friday, so, you know, I'm just asking for a little folding money for the show. For real. Your contributions make Seattle Now and Casual Friday possible. And how else are we going to pay for our Aloha shirts? JK, JK. So take a moment, chip in what you can. There's a link in the show notes. And thanks. Well, well, well. The end of another week in the Emerald City. Hope you're staying healthy because Lord knows there is a lot of sickness moving around right now. The flu is having its way with many of us. RSV is making the youngest miserable and COVID. We can't forget about the global pandemic. On the brighter side, it's the 10-year anniversary of the first gay marriages performed in Washington. Congrats to everyone out there celebrating. Rachel Turlap is here. She's the senior media manager for Washington's Department of Natural Resources. Rachel, really glad you're here. I'm so happy to be back. This is so much fun. Brandy Fullwood's here as well. She's a senior producer at KUOW. Hey, Brandy. Hey, Trish. We're going to get some rain over the next few days, maybe some slushy snow mixed in. But remember, when you do have snow or ice on your car, you need to clean off more than just a tiny viewing window before you decide to drive. A trooper gave someone a $553 ticket outside Bremerton for driving a car covered in snow recently. And I mean covered, like including the windshield. That person said the window wipers were broken. And you know what? This was an unusual snowstorm for us super early in the year. We may not be in shape just yet with our habits, but pro tip, you can use your debit card to scrape off ice and snow. Or warm water. Just heat up some water. Dump it on there. (laughs) No, no, no. Rachel, my New Englander, is telling you, no, 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 don't do that. You'll crack your windshield and... I have been guilty of spraying the water from my, like, windshield wiper stuff onto my icy windshield, and it just creates a frosty snow globe effect in your car. So don't do that. Something I don't think enough of us do is propping up those windshield wipers the night before. 
it's a snow event. And so you have these nice fresh blades that are not frozen to your windshield. <laughs> um, and, you know, it help you out a little bit, save you a couple minutes. Another pro tip. Good one. Good one. We are officially in the holiday season, which means Christmas decorations and music pretty much everywhere you go. And like a lot of things... Christmas trees, super expensive this year, ladies. A good-sized tree in the city will cost you 300 bucks in some neighborhoods, according to My Northwest. That's a lot of green for the green. Where are these people getting these Christmas trees yeah. from? Like the first floor of Nordstrom. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of a $300 Christmas tree. I'm actually baffled that that's how much people are spending. I'm guessing it's the eight-foot noble fir. Right. Because that's a prime tree that usually costs a little bit more. But there is a tree shortage that's being caused by drought. So thanks, climate change. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with Brandy. Unless those needles have been dipped in gold. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not quite sure where $300 price tag's coming from. Now, we I live in Olympia, and there's a tree farm down the road, locally owned. Uh, we got a nice dug fir, seven feet tall, for $40. It's a beautiful tree. It was just such a nice little setup. There was, a, of course, a little coffee barn. And if you can get your fresh wreaths, too, pet a couple of goats. Cute. I mean, what else could you want You know, in a, in a tree farm? Wow. <laughs> Bury the lead, petting goats at the tree farm? You're right. That, I should have started with that. <laughs> I'm a real tree purist for sure. I'm I'm a big fan of getting a, a nice fresh tree every year. Uh, it, it supports local communities. It's it's sustainable. It sequesters carbon as it grows. I think it's I think it's great. Smells so good too. You're right. Absolutely. I've never had any question about getting a real or a fake tree. I'm always real tree. But there are a lot of affordable options. Like we got our tree this year from Centro de la Raza and it was it was pretty inexpensive even if you wanted to get a really big tree from a local org I think even their super tall eight foot trees are not brushing up against $200 not even $150 so that's at least one tip you could also just go out and cut down your own tree because the permit's like five dollars yeah and to that and to that point Brandy I mean to get like to put my DNR hat on right now, if you pay that five dollar <laughs> permit, if you pay that five dollar permit to the Forest Service, and you go out to an area where it's kind of overcrowded with trees, and you cut yourself down a nice little one, you're kind of doing a forest health treatment. So thank you, um, but you're you're making the forest healthier by removing some of those extra you know trees that are fire hazards when fire season starts. Outdoor lights are the best, though. I could drive around all night and look at outdoor lights. So many fond memories of taking my boy around to discover Christmas lights. Do you have that one street in your neighborhood where everyone goes all out and it becomes like a competition? I love the people who just have a sign that says, like, I'm with this guy. And the guy is like the one that has the crazy synchronized, (laughs) you know, light show. And the neighbor next door is like, I'm not even going to bother. So here's my sign that's like, just look over there. Brandy, we can go to Candy Cane Lane in Seattle. That's a whole thing here in the neighborhood right around the U District. You can do the little loop and everybody does their houses up. And I think if you buy a house on Candy Cane Lane, you have a little agreement that you sign, that you participate in, your in Candy Caneland. Yeah, like it's, they've been doing it for many, many years, a little food drive at the end. Anyway, it's a really fun time. That and Sunset Hill. Oh my gosh, the Sunset mm. Hill neighborhood goes all out. Anyway, moving on. The internet got to know a new AI chat bot this week. It's called Chat GPT, and the Seattle Times decided to see what it thinks of the city. It asked things like, what is a Seattleite? And is the Seattle freeze real? And here is the thing. This thing was uncannily accurate. I was seriously 
impressed slash slightly terrified. Right up until they asked the question about if we use umbrellas here, and then it lost me. That was an interesting answer that didn't quite resonate with me. But Brandy, I was so struck by the nuance in the chat bot's answers, especially the Seattle Freeze one. I mean, I'm always saying people who experience the Seattle freeze just aren't putting themselves out there, maybe in a a less kind way. (laughs) But I saw some things that I feel like probably like excavate essential truths that people who live in Seattle or whether you want to call yourself a Seattleite yet, if you pass the five year mark, that they don't think are true. Like people don't like Starbucks here, that they don't like umbrellas, that they're very cold, that everybody loves hiking. Some of those things are true. Some of those things are not true. But I think we all really want this collective identity and are unwavering about when those things aren't real. (laughs) So I feel like maybe the chatbot is just like, get over yourself. Seriously, I was reading this article and thinking, is this AI an arbiter of truth here, right? If a chatbot is just a pile of information, is it more judicious than somebody that has a bias or... Is the bias baked in because it's limited by the information that it has on hand? Yeah. You know, reading through that Seattle Times article, you know, the chatbot's very impressive. I've played with it a little myself um, for some DNR work, and I've been blown away at some of the stuff it comes up with. For example, I typed in, I want you to write me a script of a television show, a reality show, where a Douglas fir and a noble fir are fighting because the noble fir is trying <laughs> to convince the Douglas fir that it's not a real fir. And the script was brilliant. I mean, it was funny. It was educational. There was a line in there that was like, the Douglas fir shakes its needles in disbelief. And it's like, they're, they're talking to each other and they're having an argument and an AI came up with this. And, you know, part of me is looking at this and saying, is my job in danger? Like, this is actually almost too good. Am I on my way out? But I don't know if it's like a comfort to you, but you came up with that idea. Like, it's it was sourced <laughs> from your idea. So maybe you'll still be, you know, needed at least to be the source of ideas so that something else can be creative. You're like pushed into management with yeah. AI. Yeah, um, that's a direct report is the AI chatbot. Um, actually, I, before I got on this call, I actually typed into the chatbot, will you replace me? Basically, it said, um, no, uh, it assured me that it was unable to replicate the complex and nuanced tasks, which I think is exactly what it wants us to think. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a pat answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I guess watch your back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a great writer. It's a great writer. It did scare me just a little bit. Well, just for fun, we asked chat GPT to make up a description for a local news podcast. And first of all, it named the show the Seattle Times Daily, which I will try not to take personally, but it really did do a creepily good job. Some of the sentences were almost word for word copies of ways we would describe the show to the point that we actually wondered if it was pulling from a Seattle Now description on the web somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's like a very it's a very sophisticated aggregation of Google searches and clips from media. I mean, It's probably the future, right? But I think we still are a little bit ahead of it, hopefully. (laughs) I wonder what the limitation of this is, though. I mean, there are so many. I think part of the reason why, one, I'm not afraid of it is one, I'm kind of like, if I were replaced, then I would probably just find another job, which is kind of the boring answer. But my, you know, my saucy answer is I'm just built different. AI has not been able to accurately replicate Black people to our detriment and also maybe to my comfort that I wouldn't be 
be replaceable in a job market because it just doesn't know how to incorporate people of color. And maybe those are the builders who are doing that. Maybe it's just like mimicking what society has not been able to learn. But I'm both fearful and intrigued by its abilities to, to know who we are collectively. Yeah, yeah. Same, same, Brandy. Same, same. All right. One last story before we go. There's a new series out on Netflix about the infamous D.B. Cooper hijacking in 1971. If you're not familiar, it's the only unsolved plane hijacking in U.S. history, and it all happened here in Washington. In the early 70s, a hijacker calling himself D.B. Cooper jumped from an airliner in flights, carrying 200,000 bucks in ransom cash, and disappeared in the woods of the Pacific Northwest. His fate remained unknown, his true identity a mystery that is perhaps until now. They can't prove a thing on me, but now they can prove it all. Wow, <laughs> man. Wow. <laughs> That's the trailer for I Am D.B. <laughs> Cooper. Partly the retelling of the hijacking and partly a documentary about this guy who claims to be D.B. Cooper. Rachel, this really makes me wonder why we keep going back to these old crimes and rehashing them, you know? What's intriguing about this? Is it that he stuck it to the man and we've never figured it out? Like, what is it? I think there's something to be said there, right, about, like, we don't know who D.B. Cooper is. The only idea we have of him is a sketch. And, you know, even then, how accurate is that? You know, I think there's something that's inherently intriguing about the crime itself. He jumped out of an airplane, you know, like, we like to romanticize that, like, the old timey crime. We know even in the trailer, you have the the guy in a suit and he's chain smoking cigarettes. And to us, there's like a noir element to it, you know, of, of wow, these people were so like charismatic and sophisticated back then. And it's, it's just outside of reach from our like recent past that we can kind of idealize it and romanticize it and make it wherever we want to. And it, you know, how, how true is it really? But um, I don't know, there, I think there's something intriguing and especially it being local. There's something intriguing about that story. The other thing I was thinking, Rachel, and you brought this up, sketch artists, not great, not always very accurate. So they're literally chasing something that might be off, right? I mean, he looks like every white man I've ever seen. You know, like there's nothing descript about him or distinct, I mean, he looks like a guy. (laughs) But isn't that like the fun of like true crime like that or like crime shows like that? Like I remember there's some comedian who was talking about drawing an outline around the body and how that's a trope of crime shows and it would be like we'll draw a line around the body and then we'll just we'll know that it was there (laughs) it's like what does that do but it's like it's the aesthetic of of the time well all right well let's talk about it because the way this went down is he showed up on the plane he asked for four parachutes right so and and this was considered to be a smart move by him because mm. if he had asked for one, they would have booby trapped it, they think, and he would have died, you know. So he gets four because they think they're going to have hostages. And he jumps out of the plane with this money and disappears. I am curious whether or not you think he may be alive or even survived the jump. I think he did, actually. After watching that first episode last night, I think he did. Do you think he had his 10 essentials with him in his bag? Before- <laughs> i don't know because if he survived the crash without those 10 essentials he's out of luck that money's not going to keep you warm wouldn't that mean he could be like amongst us he's young enough to still be alive 
he would probably be like, all right, if generously he was probably 30 or whatever, then he'd be like 75, <laughs> 80 right now. Right? D.B. Cooper is definitely at Aegis Living right now. <laughs> <laughs> and we're leaving it there. <laughs> Thanks to our guests, Rachel Turlap and Brandy Fullwood. Thank you. Thanks, all. Thanks, you too. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Claire McGrain produced today's show. The show is also made by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Jenny Cecil Moore, Vaughn Jones, and Brandy Fullwood. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. 